Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, we're going to give that uh, Sorgles gift certificate away in a moment. But I just want everyone to know that this is a great opportunity. You know, you have some downtime. You have enough time probably all relaxing a little bit. The holidays are here to listen to the entire show. You've been thinking about now that you've got all these great gifts, you gardeners out there, what you can do getting ready for the spring. And I know the weather's making you think spring, but it will be winter for a few months before you actually get to dig in the dirt. So this is all about the planning stages. So whatever is on your mind, Doug is here today, everybodygardens.com. Jessica, enjoying the day off their family he would love to hear from you so please give us a call all of our lines are available four of them to be exact you just simply have to dial 866-391-1020 now for the 10th caller at 412-922-1020 that person will win an incredible 25 dollars gift certificate from your friends out in wexford at sorgo so doug a lot to get to plus a very special guest coming up in the next hour and doug's going to tell you about that and more right now good morning yes good morning doug oster from everybody gardens and the tribune review and we do have a very very special guest today is a friend of mine, Robert Mulvahill, ornithologist with the National Aviary. We've been friends for many, many years. I love watching the birds, and there are other reasons to attract birds. And Bob's going to tell us all about it, uh, how we do it and what we can plant to, to bring those birds into the garden and why it's important. And yesterday, I, I can't believe it, still planting bulbs. I put 200 bulbs in yesterday. This, this, this weather is amazing. 200 bulbs. And I got about 150 left. I thought I was going to get them all done yesterday, but I was lazy. I sat around a little bit and watched the birds. <laughs> You're allowed. You're allowed. You're allowed to do that. But yeah, there is still time to plant, um, you know, until the ground freezes. And I don't. I can't remember when I've planted bulbs this late in the season. I did it once before in January, uh, and this was a long time ago, maybe 15 years ago, where we had a thaw or it didn't freeze solid. And so I was putting daffodils and crocus in. Uh, again, I want to just uh, talk about the trick that I've been using that I learned from uh, Brent Heath, who runs Brent and Becky's Bulbs in Virginia, is just spraying those crocus bulbs with some kind of repellent. I use Bobex. It's a deer repellent, and it makes those bulbs smell. And so daffodils, we never have to worry about. Nothing's going to eat them. But the crocuses, you know, if a chipmunk or the squirrel figured out what was there, they would start eating them up. But, boy, I've had a lot of success. And just uh, these crocuses I, I, you know, bought at the end of the season. I told the nursery, hey, if you're not going to pot them up, I'll take them. And gave me a deal on them. And they're in plastic bags, big plastic bags. So I could just spray the uh, Bobex right into the the bag. And so they're, they're ready to be planted. Uh, and speaking of bulbs, uh, you know, I got a text yesterday from Han Nursery. If you haven't planted garlic yet and you want to plant garlic, they have got bulbs of garlic for a buck a piece. Planting bulbs, which is, you, you just can't beat that. Plus a bunch a bunch of other bulbs left over, 75% off. And even brand new seeds uh, for 2020 at 20% off. So Han Nursery and Ross, especially talking about garlic, boy. You know, garlic's easy to grow. 
We're always talking about planting it. All you do is you take a, a big head, you split it up into cloves, you put it six inches from each other or six inches apart and three inches down and, and cover it with some straw. And then next spring, they'll be up and you'll be picking your big one clove becomes an entire ball by July. Uh, so that'd be a, a good deal. And I'm, I'm warning you now, if you don't go to Han Nursery and Ross and buy that garlic and buy those bulbs, I'm going to be right behind you. I'm going to give you about a week and then I'm going to go there and buy all that stuff. Uh, another thing that I've been doing uh, is planting indoor herbs. I love planting indoor herbs. Um, growing basil, thyme, oregano, rosemary, uh, anything else I can find, even some dill inside, believe it or not. And just in a little long container filled with planting mix, fits right on the windowsill. And we used a lot of it for the, our Feast of Seven Fishes, uh, the basil and the, the different herbs. It's fun to have fresh herbs. You know, we talked a lot about, in a, a couple of weeks ago, about microgreens. I'm doing that too, always planting planting a different crop of microgreens every week or so. Uh, just easy to do. All you need is, like I said, planting mix, get it wet, throw some seeds on there, make sure they sprout, and then you snip them off and you're good to go. Let me ask you something. I just saw something trending from the Penn State Master Gardeners. We're a big fan of what they do, especially what I see they do every single day back in my neck of the woods. They have that... Penn State Branch Campus in uh, Beaver, which is located in Monaco, where I happen to live. They're talking about the deers are coming, the deer are coming, the deer are coming. And they mentioned about fencing, and I didn't get a chance to read the whole article. Does fencing really stop the deer? Probably the number one way to, to stop them is some kind of physical barrier. You know, they, I use a lot of deer netting. It's specifically made to, to stop deer, and so it's seven foot tall. They Again, if in panic mode, they would jump over seven feet, but in... Normal walking around, eating, nibbling, they'll just walk around a seven-foot fence. And the deer, deer netting is actually, it's black, it, it, it's almost invisible. You, you Sometimes, the, depending on where you set it up, you have to put little streamers on it so they know it's there. Otherwise, they'll run right into it. And so some kind of physical barrier. I've got that deer netting just around certain plants. You know, you might not be able to fence your whole property. It's expensive. Yeah, and, and you might have too much property. Uh, but just covering surrounding a certain plant that they love with, during the winter especially what are the ones that are the most vulnerable the plants that they're definitely not going to pass up oh uh, well or is everything game no time? you know they'll eat anything but there's what's ironic is the thing that i have surrounded is poisonous to them but oh. yet a young deer doesn't know that and it will eat the buds it's called a mountain laurel it's our, our state flower and uh so you know, certainly hydrangeas. They're always after hydrangeas in in my garden. They'll go after azaleas, rhododendrons, because they have soft buds, and they'll eat those 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 buds. Uh, I've, I've seen them eat witch hazel. There's no plant that that you can say is deer proof. You know, there's some that are pretty resistant. Mountain laurel is supposed to be one of them, but I don't want to lose my buds, so I've got them. You know, they surrounded. they look cute, and people see them and they think Bambi, but I don't think people realize how powerful of an animal that these deer are. They can do incredible things physically. Man. Well, I'm telling you, when they we're out of the rut now, right? And so, if you had your trees protected from rubbing, that's what the the bucks will do. They'll rub a tree and they'll kill the tree. You know, a little sapling to, to mark their territory. But when they're in the rut. Those bucks are scary because they only have one thing on their mind, and that's chasing does, and they don't see you as a human being. They see you as a... Uh, Obstacle. No, competitor. Threat, okay. Yeah, and so they're just, 
their heads in a place where you don't want to mess with them. You know, <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've been like running on my trails and I've seen them and they're just like, they don't run away. They're like, they're, they're chasing the doe. So we're over that, but yeah, they're a powerful animal. There's no doubt about it. Mm. Uh, losing their antlers now. So, uh, the rut's over. All right, listen, we're going to get to, uh, uh, all of your calls. So please stay with us. We have uh, room for you. Uh, 866-391-1020. Judy, the winner of that gift certificate from Sorgles. And we have a gift certificate from the good people at Janoski's coming up as well. Stay with us. Birds of a feather. We've got a great guest right now to in- introduce him and to talk more about the great aviary in Pittsburgh. Here is Doug Oster. Robert Mulvihill is an ornithologist with the National Aviary. We have been friends for a long time. We both love the birds. Bob, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm fine, Doug. How are how are were you and, and how's everyone listening doing this I morning? I think everybody's doing good. Tell me about first all the bird species you saw just right in the city yesterday. You were telling me. Right. So uh, I hope that all all of the folks listening know about. The, uh, the Christmas Bird Count, which is an annual um, uh, volunteer effort to survey birds across, not only across the country, across Pennsylvania, across the country, and actually all around the world now. It's an important way that we sort of keep our finger on the pulse of, e- of even the common birds, uh, knowing how their populations are doing. And I like to participate in that, uh, both because I think it's a great way to help with the cause of bird conservation in some small way, but but also because it's fun, it gets you gets you up and it gets you out um, uh, in the winter, uh, which is not always the time that beckons you outdoors um, uh, to watch birds. In any event, uh, my my son and I helped by taking a small territory within the Pittsburgh Christmas Bird Count Circle. Uh, and it was just uh, just on the north side where the National Aviary is located. So we did uh, West Park and Lake Elizabeth and uh, the neighborhood called the Mexican War Streets right over there on the north side. We spent about four hours walking around, and in that time we, we counted 30 species of birds. Wow. So uh, we, we were pleased. Oh, that's amazing. How did you fall in love with birds, and this becomes your way to make a living? Uh, it, it, you know, it goes back to to my my earliest uh, memories as a child, being interested in birds, mostly because uh, my mother had an interest in birds, and therefore had a couple, well, more than a couple, a, f- a few books about birds lying around the house, um, and she she loved to feed the birds. Uh, we I grew up in Squirrel Hill in the east end of Pittsburgh, and uh, all I remember from my youth was my mother f- feeding uh, the birds, and, uh, and, and so I, I uh, somehow developed that interest, and there was just enough material in our house to, uh, to sort of spark that interest. Mm. And I also credit the fact that early in my life, my parents um, uh, found a small cabin in Somerset County on uh, Stoughton Lake, and they... they uh, uh, took us up there um, on weekends and, and for vacations, and that that sort of changed me from a city kid to a country kid, and I got to see a lot more birds, and, and of course that sparked the interest further. So how can we? What is the best way for us to attract birds to, to our landscape? Yeah, uh, so there, there are a couple of things here I want to I want to talk about. One, one is just uh, what you said, attracting birds to our landscape, and so that's just the idea of, of doing things with our little patch of, of, of Mother Earth, you know, uh, to, to, um, to make it 
something that is you know supportive of birds right in, ter- in, in, in terms of habitat and safer for birds so that's the decision we make when we have a front yard or a backyard or both uh, whether it's a postage stamp or a, a rolling estate um, we make a choice to do certain things with that space and some of those things um, are not at all favorable for birds, and other things can be very favorable for, favorable for birds. And so, by making some of those choices, like um, for instance, you're an or, this is an organic gardening show, so making a choice to not use chemicals, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, neither herbicides nor nor pesticides um, anywhere on on that space in that patch of of earth that the, you, the you call home. Um, makes the ground more suitable for birds right there. Um, uh, planting native trees, shrubs, and, and, and forbs, uh, flowers, and, and grasses um, helps a lot because native plants connect to a, a, a food web that occurs where you live, and uh, that means it's going to intersect with the lives of m- many kinds of birds, whether you know it or not. Um, so that's another good way, and this is Again, just creating a bird-friendly environment uh, of any size. And then the other thing is, well, once you've, if you've done that, and if you, if you enjoy uh, birds, their songs, and their, their beautiful appearance, and are just fascinated by how many kinds there are out there, uh, then you might want to attract them closer to you, to your, to your house, uh, so that looking out your windows, you see them. And so that brings you into the realm of attracting birds, and you do that using things like bird feeders, bird houses, and bird baths. And what are some of the positives of having, for, from a gardening standpoint, of having the birds in the landscape? Yeah, so, so that's, that, that's easy. The, the positives are that, that even that birds consume you know, vast quantities of injurious uh, insects and other uh, pests that, uh, uh, from the gardener's standpoint, um, there's, there's no question that birds are not, uh, they're not per se running around in your garden looking for, um, looking for the things to eat that are only the quote-unquote bad uh, bugs, but they're they're eating caterpillars of all kinds, uh, maybe even occasionally something you might just as soon uh, watch turn into a butterfly. Uh, but but for the most part, they're collecting so much food for themselves, and especially uh, during the po- uh, peak of the gardening season, especially for their own young. They're sometimes they're multiple broods of young from spring through summer. That they literally. Uh, provide uh, you know a a a major control on the population of those pest insects and and they're mostly looking for leaf eating insects and and by which i mean caterpillars primarily and so things that defoliate the plants hey uh, bob we have a question from joe joe what was your question for bob um as windmills gain in popularity I've heard some criticism that windmills, you know, are, are harmful to birds. Is that true? Well, they can can be, Joe. Um, they, uh, they the, the the question is, you know, as we put windmills up and as we as we move toward um, using a renewable energy source um, like wind, um, they're 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 still, even though it's it's a greener. Tr- 
a greener choice for sure. Um, there still uh, are some some um, downsides to it, and in some uh, places, uh, especially early in the development of wind energy, um, wind farms, as they're called, were erected quickly uh, and uh, uh, without any real thought to the siting in the sense of, uh, of, of impacts, potential impacts on birds. And what we've learned from, from that, sadly, uh, where, where thousands of birds have been killed in some of those situations, is that <clears throat> if we're going to, to encourage and use more wind energy, which I believe we need to do, we have to, um, we have to be careful about where we place those uh, wind farms. And in particular, we now know more than enough about where the birds congregate in the breeding season and where they, they are concentrated in migration. We know enough to uh, not put uh, major obstacles in the way of those migrating birds. Uh, and that still leaves open plenty of places um, where uh, wind turbines can be put that um, that are not um, that, that have far more benefits than than uh, than uh, negative consequences. One more thing, real quick. Tell me a little bit about your owl project. We got about forty five seconds. So, a project Alnet is something. So, for the National Aviary, I'm the ornithologist, which means I I, I study birds uh, and I try to to learn things about birds that I can then share uh, with. Uh, the, the media, with radio and newspapers, with the public through programs, uh, and uh, and then of course um, also uh, uh, with our own staff when they need uh, information about birds. But one of my projects that I do, Project Alnet, was uh, begun uh, by some colleagues of mine years ago, and it basically helps us to understand the migration of the northern saw wet owl. Uh, and uh, this is a tiny owl. Uh, in Pennsylvania, folks may recognize it as the owl that graces the first wildlife license plate um, that was produced in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob, thanks very much. To find out more information about what's going on at the aviary, go to www.aviary.org. Lots of cool stuff there. And Bob is the Birdman of Pittsburgh. If you could be any bird, what would you want to be? Besides okay. an eagle, come on. Everybody wants to be the eagle. I'll be the osprey then. Really? Yeah, just kind of like a one step down from the eagle. All right. All right, 866, don't make me answer that because I always wanted to be the... Vulture? Sh- no. <laughs> Buzzard? <laughs> the St. Louis Cardinal, and I want to be in the lineup right behind Stan Musial. Uh, 866, he played baseball for the Cardinals back in the day, folks, from Denora, Pennsylvania. Stan the man? Okay, yeah. 866-391-1020. 866-391-1020. Light them up. Anything on your mind, whatever you want to talk about, especially those spring planning projects, now that you got all of those great gifts for the holiday seasons, Doug Oster coming up next with your calls on the Organic Gardeners KDK Radio. All right, here we go, folks. Tenth caller will win that amazing gift certificate from Janoski's at 412-922-1020. Any unfinished business. By the way, two lines available, 866-391-1020. Doug, before we get to the phones. No, let's let's talk to the people. All right, let's go to Penn Hills and say hi to Bill. Bill, how you doing? Welcome to KDK Radio. Okay, thank you. Hi, Bill. Uh, don't, I, uh, I like to plant some black walnuts, and uh, I want to know if I need to do anything special. It'll be in a, a woodlot area with fairly heavy canopy. Well, the, the one thing you just got to know that the black walnut, uh, it, it will retard growth on other things, just so you know that. You, you can't have like a garden near it. And so it's not really an understory tree. It's going to need space to do its thing. 
You know, that black walnut's a big tree, and mm-hmm. it's going to do better in a, a space where it is not an understory tree. So if they have a little bit of room, you'll be okay to plant them. I see. Okay. Would they need, would they, would they need to freeze the nuts before they go in? or? Oh, I see. You're just going to take a black walnut seed and go that way. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm not sure if they need stratified, to tell you the truth. Maybe Mrs. Know-it-all will know, but uh, I would be more tempted to to get some seedlings. Uh, I see. And, you know, start with an inexpensive seedling and get them going that way. You're going to be ahead of the game that way uh, yeah. because sprouting a nut, uh, that, that, sounds like a, that sounds like a tough Major thing to project. do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd go with, sure. I, I, you, you could find black walnut seedlings at a very reasonable price, and you could get them in the ground, and they'd be ready to go. That's the way I'd like to do it. Okay. We'll Thank see if we can figure you. out what, what needs to be done with those nuts. I'll try and look at that in the break. Let's go to Dan. Dan, Upper St. Clair, what's your question for Doug Oster? Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Doug. I was wondering, uh, I'm going to be doing some traveling this winter, and I've got some house plants. Uh, I'll be gone for about six weeks. Do you have any trick ideas in keeping them watered while you're away? Well, I did uh, use this one thing uh, I, back when uh, on KDKA called an Aqua Globe. We did a Does It Really Do That? And those are, they make all sorts of different ones, but if you just search Aqua Globe, you'll, it'll give you a bunch of stuff to look at. It just You fill this ball with water and you put it in the soil and it just, it slowly lets water out. There are some other things too that you can do like that, you know, where you could water the plants really well before you left. Uh, if they if they have a tray underneath them, put a little water in that tray, and six weeks isn't that long for a house plant. I mean, m- most house plants can go four weeks without any water at all. So if you just give them a lot of water before you go, maybe take a look at a couple of those little things for certain plants uh, that that slowly disperse water, like the Aqua Globe, and then some that had a tray underneath them just left a little water for them in that tray that they could suck up. I think you'll be fine. Okay, sounds great. Good luck. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so what do you think the biggest gift most gardeners get that first year after their first garden? What's like a tool that they're just so excited to get? Hmm. Something that you're still using today that was from your early days. Oh, for me, it was a wheelbarrow. Yeah. Yeah, wheelbarrow is a great gift, you know. Well, they've really evolved, have they not? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean. The old style ones. I I got one uh, back in the 80s from my wife. And it eventually, you know, wore out. And I did. I have it in my ruins area of the garden. I couldn't throw it away because it had. It, you know, I moved a lot of dirt with that thing, and it was a very uh, thoughtful gift. Uh, you know, I'm always. I always tell people after the holiday, if you didn't get what you want, you know, go out and get something that you really want. You know, I always tell pe- people also pruners are, are a great thing for gardeners because even though if you already have a pair, you need another. You know, you have one out. Like I've got a little uh, mailbox that I use as a as a little tool box out in the garden. So it's up on, you know, uh, right outside the garden, and I just leave my tools in the mailbox. And I have pruners out there. I got pruners like right before I leave the back door. I've got some pruners there. You, you're just you're always you always need a pair of pruners with you. So when you came to Pittsburgh and you moved into the house that you've been living in for a long time, was the whole idea were you into gardening then? Oh you- yeah, yeah. I'd already was writing a column at another paper back in Ohio, and uh, it had become you know very popular. I was very lucky, and when I came here, I was hired at the Post Gazette, 
as a picture editor because I was photography was the way I came into the business and just gardening took over. You know, I was really into gardening when I got here. I brought two pickup truckloads of plants from my old garden. And now that I look at my garden 21 years later, I can only remember one or two that I brought with me. Let's let's be frank. If you, I'll, I'll be frank, you'll be Doug. But no, really, when you think about the people that get enticed into gardening, your business that you do every day at a great level with the Tribune Review, most people are introduced. We, we want to take a little credit because of this show. You and Jess do a great job. But the newspaper business has really done a lot to help the gardening world. Oh yeah, there's lots of information there. You know, my stuff runs. If you like, if you can't get the trip, it's all at everybodygardens.com. That's all everybodygardens.com is. It's just everything I do for the trip. That if you can't get the trip, you can read it for free there. And so, uh, but we recommend you get the trip. I do. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, a good thing. It helps me out. You got to take care of those people <laughs> who work hard in your industry. But I mean, even growing up as a, as a kid, I remember the pictures and people talking about gardening and from question, the local paper. Yeah, right. question and answer. There's always like a question and answer column. Jessica does a great one for the Trib. And uh, there's a lot of information there. You know, you're pumping it out every week, trying to help people out. And I, one thing that I love about this whole thing is that I learned so much from from the people that I write about or that I hear from or that we talk, we have a conversation. That's what's works so well on the online side is like somebody can just immediately post like, well, I did this. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, you have instant communication back and forth. You know, I, I do spend a lot of time doing that. And gardeners are more educated. I mean, I talk to people out at Janoski's who are fans of you and Jess and they come in and they've got their questions all ready to go. And, you know, they know what they want and they know what to look for. So, what you do and Jessica does and what the newspaper industry and shows like this do, and obviously these syndicated shows and national shows on TV, they have helped gardeners really take that next step as far as becoming really informed about what they love. That's their hobby. Yeah. It, it, there's so much, you know, gardening is just lifelong learning. It really is. It never ends, does yeah, it? Yeah. You know, you're, you're always learning something new. You're always changing something around. I can't believe I was still planting bulbs, but well, that's who, that's, I can't wait until the spring. So you are. Oh, are yeah. you going to see anything other than these bulbs that you yeah, planted? Yeah, there's plenty of other stuff out there. You know, the funny thing is when I was planting the bulbs, you're down really close to the ground, and I was like just brushing some leaves aside, and there was a little itty-bitty, like, two-inch-wide fern that had, you know, was protected under the leaves that you would never see otherwise. You, And there's still plants, woodland plants out there, you know, after how, you know, it got down to nine degrees yet there's still plants out there i think for gardeners it's just the amazing nature of of what we're doing to, to see all this stuff you know start from a little seed and come to fruition in just a couple months it's amazing uh, it's a lot of fun all right listen we're going to take a break we'll come back by the way Noah, the winner of that wonderful certificate from janoski's uh we've got cindy and allison park we'd love to hear from you too any questions you have for doug we're going to do nothing but phone calls in the final segment and then after cbs radio news top of the hour joe and frank and tc it's the Akuns cooking hour new year's day recipes tips tricks and traditions so getting ready for a little pork and sauerkraut talk today on the coons cooking hour Time for Mrs. Know-It-All. She's a horticulturist, gardener, and our garden goddess. Denise Schreiber, how are you this morning? I'm enjoying this warm weather. Oh, isn't it awesome? I know. I've actually been out doing a little weeding because my favorite weed, bittercress, is out there blooming. Jeez, jeez. I was looking for things sprouting yesterday. I had a few daffodils in the front of the house that just are peeking up, but they'll be okay. They'll, they'll, 
Uh, They'll just some wait mulch there. On them. So, what about planting black walnuts from the actual nut? Is does it need stratification? It does, and um, so there's some things you have to do. And actually, he's a little late if he wants to try and do them mm-hmm. this year. So, uh, this fall, he can collect the uh, seeds. So the first thing you do actually is check for any insect damage, any tiny little holes um, to see if anybody's been in there, and you just discard them. If you have some that have ripened already, you don't want the ones that aren't quite ripe, and you have to break open the husk. So obviously, if you're working with black walnuts, you got to wear gloves. Otherwise, you're going to be permanently stained. You know, that's funny you say that because I had somebody uh, get a hold of me before school started, and their kids had got, got so, yeah, were playing with black walnuts, and she had no idea how to get that stain off, and I couldn't find much of a way to get that stain off your hands. And pretty much washing them a lot for a month or so might help. <laughs> but at any rate, with the black walnuts, once you uh, get, uh, you know, determined that the seeds are good, open up the husk. Take those seeds and then float them in some water. You know, much like what we do with tomato seeds to save them. The ones that float, obviously, you pitch them. And then you take the other ones and put them in a Ziploc bag or a container filled with some moistened perlite, not vermiculite, perlite. Um, For those that don't know the difference, it's the white uh, granular stuff. And keep them in your refrigerator for three to four months. And I would, because you open your refrigerator off and on, there's the light that comes on inside. So I would put them in a covered container where the light won't reach it. And then after that, take them out and you can put them in a um, either a little seed bed that you might have or in pots, small pots. And you put them in about an inch to two inches, no deeper, cover them up, and let them uh, outside with some sun on them, but you don't want them where they're getting heated too much and then the temperature drops. You know, because like in February, we always get that. You know, it goes up to 60 Mm -hmm. degrees and drops to 20 at night. That's not what you want. So when the temperatures start to moderate a little bit, you get them, you know, in the sun, let them start to come up, and then you get a seedling that's maybe... Oh, half an inch, three-quarters of an inch, and then transplant them into a slightly bigger pot. But if he's waiting to have black walnuts to eat, uh, you know, I hope he's a young man because it's usually about 20 years before nut trees produce edible nuts. And if he's looking for wood, they are a fast grower. At least the native ones are. But... They get huge. They get to be a hundred foot tall. Right, big tree. Well, happy no, happy, happy know it all, Mrs. New Year's. Happy New Year, Mrs. Know it all. Good stuff about black walnuts. All right, eight six six three nine one ten twenty. Here's Cindy in Allison Park. Cindy, thanks for holding on. Good morning. Hey, Cindy. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. My question is about Brussels sprouts. I I stuck them in the ground, um, you know, at the beginning of the spring one year, and they didn't do bad. I didn't even know what I was doing. They were growing along the ground, and they I had one stalk, and it did pretty good. So then I decided I would try to do a fall crop of that because they said they do really good in the fall. So as soon as the nurseries got them in, which I think was maybe August, um, I put them in. It was late August, I think. I put them in. They didn't get any bigger than the size of peas. I mean, they're still out there 
um, in my garden, you know, looking limp because of the frost and everything. What's the, the secret to Brussels sprouts? Well, they're, they're, they love fall, but the thing is they're a long season crop. And so they're better off started in the spring, and then we actually let them go all season and don't start picking until there's a frost. That frost sweetens up those Brussels sprouts, turns the uh, starches into sugar. And so starting in August, I think it was just a little too late to get them going, depending on the variety. Uh, you know, the, there's varieties that take 90 days. There's varieties that take, you know, 110 days. And so in my mind, it's it's better to start Brussels sprouts in the spring and then it takes all season for them to get big and have be filled with nice sized brussels sprouts but those ones you have out there mm -hmm. don't don't do anything with them they might still do something for you and they might even overwinter for you especially if they had a little protection how tall are they uh probably uh 15 inches okay so there's this thing called a floating row cover. I use it all the way, all the time in the winter during the uh, the season, and it's just a spun-bound translucent fabric that kind of acts as a greenhouse. It's inexpensive. Any nursery will have it. And you just kind of float them over the top of your plants just to give them a little bit of protection, and maybe you'll get some Brussels sprouts. Maybe they'll winter over, and you'll be okay. Uh, but as I said, it's, it's better to get them going in the spring, long-season crop, uh, I prefer to start things like that from seed. The other problem with with crops like that, a lot of times, is if they're if they're in the nursery and they've been stressed, they just they just won't produce like they should. And mm -hmm. so, uh, broccoli and Brussels sprouts are two things I like to start from seed, and I like to have them in the ground like five weeks after I've started the seeds. So I'm starting the seeds maybe April first, and then putting them in the end of April, early May, because they can take a frost. And then they're good to go in good soil. You know, got to be in good compost. And then you'll get your your big, beautiful uh, Brussels sprouts. Jessica said this year she's going to grow a uh, purple Brussels sprout, which is kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, I heard that last. I heard it last week. Her saying that, and I'm like, oh, if I could just grow Brussels sprouts, I'll be happy. <laughs> start start in the spring, and you'll be okay. Uh, and and take a look at different. There's a bunch of different varieties out there too. Try and find one that's an early season one, like a 90 day one, uh, because for some reason, Brussels sprouts, you know, a cabbage you could do two seasons. Broccoli you can do two or three seasons. Brussels sprouts, for me at least, I'm only really able to get them for that one season, the spring, and then picking them in the winter. All right, Robert, one more call. Robert, you got a minute. How are you? Good morning. Morning. How you doing? Um, I have a question about uh, attracting hummingbirds. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been at it for, you know, a few years now. Um uh, with the feeders and all, and we try to plant uh, potted plants on our, our porch um, to uh, get them. Do you have uh, any suggestions as to the type of plants I should be um, planting? Well, they like tub they like tubular flowers and they like red. I've had really good luck with salvias. Um, there's one salvia I love, but there's a bunch of different ones. This one's called Wendy's Wish. And I tell you what, if if you look at my you know online presence, my Facebook, and I I'll, I shoot I post pictures all the time of these uh, hummingbirds coming to the salvias. You know anything with a red tubular flower is great. Salvias are just easy to grow, and so in a pot they would be great. Uh, Wendy's Wish. I'm trying to think of the other one. Skyscraper Pink. I did this year. Uh, the salvia is just an easy easy way, but there's lots of other hummingbird plants out there. So just look around a little bit, but 
I love the salvias. I'm trying to think what else, you know, honeysuckle. They actually come to hostas, but the flowers aren't there long enough for a hosta. I'm trying to think of some other red tubulars that would be good for hummingbirds. I can't think off the top of my head, but uh, remember... The organic gardeners always aim to create a better place to garden. I feel so privileged and a safer place to live. Thank oh, you did it just like Jessica. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. As my grandfather used to say, you know, you're a hoot. You're a hoot. <laughs> Stay tuned. The news next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.